It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. Hi, my name is Danielle Hartman, and I'm the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute. Today is Sunday, June 13th, 2021, and this is For Heaven's Sake, a podcast from the Hartman Institute's I Engage Project. Our theme for today is entitled, Can the Change Government Really Bring Change to Israel? In each episode of For Heaven's Sake, Yossi Klein-Halevi, Senior Research Fellow at the Hartman Institute here in Jerusalem, and myself will be discussing a current issue central to Israel and the Jewish world. And then Ilana Steinhain, director of the Hartman Faculty in North America, will explore with us how classical Jewish sources can enrich our understanding of the issue. At the Hartman Institute, we approach the Israel conversations we do all our conversations, from a perspective of Jewish value seeking broad and deep engagement. Our aim is to encourage a serious and respectful conversation on Israel across political lines, promoting understanding and strengthening Jewish peoplehood. Let's begin. Netanyahu has been replaced by the strangest government in the country's history, bringing together the hard-left Meretz together with the hard-right Yamina, Yisrael Beitena, which in the past accused Arab Israelis of treason, partnering in a coalition together with the Islamist party, Ram. What is one to make of this so-called change government or government of change? Change to what exactly? Can it offer a new vision and direction for Israeli society and policy? Will it and can it overcome the destructive status quo between Israelis and Palestinians? Can it change the equally problematic status quo on issues of religion? Will it usher in a new era of dialogue and understanding between Israelis and world Jewry, between Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs? Or is it a change government principally because it is changing the identity of Israel's prime minister? Rock lo Bibi, just not Bibi. Does something besides antipathy to Netanyahu hold this coalition together? Is there some deeper message about the nature and values of Israel that this government is conveying? And what can we expect from a government led by parties with such radically different agendas and visions for Israel? Beyond unseating Netanyahu, what might this coalition actually achieve? How should we measure its success? Can the change government bring real change to Israel? Yossi and Ilana, after months of dealing with wars and, and, and anti-Semitism, there's, there's a certain mazel tov, there's a celebration in the air. We're talking now about not how we deal with the crises, we're talking about the opportunities for tomorrow. So Yossi, shalom aleichem, welcome to a happy podcast this week. Aleichem Shalom, and I'm thrilled. Danielle. You're thrilled. So let's talk about why you're thrilled. Let's, um, there's no doubt, we all know this, that the first glue 
And what really made this government possible was the fact that there was a just not BB coalition on the right and the left. Otherwise, the right and the left would not have joined together naturally. Now, you shared this sentiment very deeply and spoke about it over and again. You know, now that we're launching this new government, now that we could wish it a mazel tov, is that an is that core glue enough? Um, or, you know, people sometimes try to say that the just not BB is a technical issue. Is a just, was there something deeper here? What does it mean in your eyes? And then how is it going to shape the future? Neil, I think that that is the question for this government. Is the antipathy to BB personal? Or is there a deeper antipathy to the values that he represents? And if you look at, at what Netanyahu came to represent in the last few years of his career, and I'm making a very clear distinction between the earlier Netanyahu, when I think he was a legitimate representative of the Israeli ethos. In the last few years, with his legal troubles, he came to represent, to my mind, three deeply problematic assaults on the Israeli ethos. The first was cynicism, lying. His word was not his word. Now, we all know Israeli politicians. We all know this is a very cynical bunch. Uh, Prime Minister Levi Eshkol uh, once said, uh, uh, it's true I didn't keep my promise, but I never promised to keep my promise. <laughs> so we know, we know that Israeli politics is a, uh, is a rough and tumble business. Netanyahu took it uh, beneath what it had been. Uh, nobody believed his word anymore. Everyone, let, Netanyahu said, I give you my word. Everyone laughed. You can't have a prime minister whose word means nothing. That was the first offense. And so I see this as an opportunity for a minimal restoration of truthfulness in Israeli politics, credibility. The second was Netanyahu's assault on uh, our democratic institutions and our democratic ethos. And, uh, and finally, uh, and related, uh, he, Netanyahu turned power, personal power, into an end unto itself in a way that no political leader before him in Israel had done. Uh, everything was permitted. Bring in the Kahanists, bring in the Islamists. He was capable, seemingly, of anything. And uh, there was a poll taken uh, shortly after the, this latest round of fighting in Gaza. 45% of Israelis said they feared there was a political motive to the Gaza war. Now, I don't know if there was or there wasn't, but the fact that so many Israelis believed that their prime minister was capable of that, of taking the country to war for his own personal political gain, showed that Netanyahu had just destroyed the, the what we used to call here mamlachtiyut, statehood, uh, the dignity of the state. And so what I'm hoping is that this government, as at the very least, is going to restore something of what we've lost in those areas. See, so what, what you're saying is, is you're elevating it and you're saying, just not Bibi wasn't a personal thing at all in your mind. It was not, this was not a personal thing. This is a vision about Israeli society. And I, I want to add to, you know, if, on, on, on the areas of truthfulness, on, on the commitment to democracy, and on 
on and the relationship between your personal power aspirations and the and the and the well-being of the country for me also i share that with you very much um there was one other feature that i felt personified the netanyahu years in government not all of them were his fault um and as you said he did a tremendous amount of good but you know societies are are built uh, or the strength of a society is, is measured by how we are able to contain difference because difference is an inevitable part of every social structure and so how do we accept somebody who's different than us how do we accept someone who we disagree with you know the key term here is tolerance tolerance is distinct from pluralism tolerance is for the person who you think is wrong Pluralism is for the person who you think, while different than you, is also correct. So societies, by nature, are going to evolve around tolerance. But what, what I've come to, I've been watching this, you know, and I've written about this and, and thought about the central place of tolerance. Um, now, tolerance works in a society or tolerance works in a family when there's a key assumed commitment to a relationship with each other, to loyalty to each other, where everybody sees each other, gives you a place at the table, and then how do we stay at the table? You know, brothers, sisters, children, parents, we, we say, you know what, I don't agree with you, but you're part of the family. Part of what has emerged under Netanyahu's last years was a deepening of the tribal divisiveness of Israeli society. Now, when a society is deeply divided on that level, Tolerance is not enough. The, the politics of fear and hatred, um, while allowing tolerance, still create a, a weakening of the core fabric of our society. There was no respect for difference anymore in Israel. We tolerated difference, but there was no respect for difference. If you were on the left, yes, you were on the left or the right, the left was synonymous with traitor, right synonymous with fascist, Jew, Arab, Haredi, secular. Every, we tolerated each other, but you can't build a society if there isn't some feature of respect. See, a family, I could love you, but I don't like you. You joke about it, right? You know, I love, I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my parents. But in this tribal community, we, we were missing a core sense of shared, shared loyalty. And this not BB coalition is the best coalition I could possibly imagine because it returns to our society the possibility not of tolerating each other, but of beginning to have a feature of pluralism. Some feature where I on the right could say, you know what, and you heard it, Bennett already said it. And the same thing on the left. The left who's willing merits is willing to sit with Bennett. It's not because they're willing to tolerate him only. Because they're saying, do you know what? There's, there's certain values we don't share. But there are other values we do. The possibility of returning to Israeli society. Some discourse of shared values between Jews and Arabs, between religious and secular. It's a shame the Haredim aren't in it, but they chose not to be in it. That was their choice not to enter into it. And maybe that's the only place where this coalition is still challenged. It's the only place where a new leaf is not being turned over. But for me, the greatest hope that I feel right now is 
a discourse in Israeli society where I could also respect someone who I disagree with, not just tolerate it. Doesn't mean I'm saying, oh, we're all, now we're not the same, we're different. But Bennett, you're not a fascist. I can't, I can't say, I want you as prime minister, but you're a fascist. No, I might disagree with you on security issues. I might disagree with you on Judea and Samaria, but you're a serious person who cares for Israeli society, who cares for ethics, who cares for democracy. The cup is, we're not gonna be talking about what's empty. We'll start a discourse again about talking about what's there. And I think Netanyahu ruled at the end by perpetuating tolerance and undermining mutual respect. And we have a chance to open up a new direction. Well, my, my hierarchy of expectations is, first of all, know Netanyahu and what he represented. And that's already, for me, Dayeno moment. If this government does nothing else but remove the major source of, uh, of hatred, disunity, and of course, there are many sources as well, but but coming from the top, giving it the, the stamp of approval from the prime minister's office, just first of all, remove Netanyahu. Beyond that, if this government of opposites can come together, as you put it, on a, on a shared discourse of what minimally binds us here. That would be huge. But do you think there's any significant policy areas that this government could change? Like, what would you say are the, you know, on, do you think anything significant could change in Judea and Samaria, for example, with this government? I think it depends on, on how much the Biden administration is able to widen the scope of the Abraham Accords. Interesting. And, uh, and, and this is, I think that what we need to do is test Bennett and Saar, the the stalwarts of the of the right of the settlement movement in this government, uh, we need to put them to the test of choosing between uh, peace with Arab countries and settlement expansion. Uh, Netanyahu, uh, it should be said to his his credit, uh, Netanyahu was put to that test last year and he passed it. He always passed it. Saar and Bennett were his critics. He always did, and now the critics are in government. Let's see if the Biden administration has the wisdom and the capability to go to the Saudis. The key here is the Saudis. That would require America itself to overcome its language of tolerance and begin to say maybe there was something that happened during the Trump administration that was positive. <laughs> but I do think, though, and I, I think it's important that our audience understand, this is not a government which Israelis voted for in order to radically change the status quo with Palestinians. And part of it, I want to go back to your Dayenu language. Unless, as you're right, Biden pushes a, uh, a move with other um, uh, Middle Eastern countries and expands it principally to the Saudis, um, it's not going to move. But I think part of what I want to tell our audience is that that's okay. You know, something's been very broken. Something's been very broken. And part of, of an increased alienation from Israel is the fact that Israel, it's been a language of mutual animosity 
which also was contagious and spread to Israel and world Jewry. We're all each other's enemies. Listen, the former ambassador to Israel, to America, gets up and says, Israelis, forget about the Jews, go to the evangelicals. He says it publicly. How could you even say such a thing? So part of what we need to do, and I don't know if we have the time, but I think let us heal. Let us realize the real serious value here. Maybe one other thing that can progress, and I've heard conversation about it, is a conversation about Palestinian rights in Judea and Samaria, beginning a process in which Palestinian rights claim us. You hear Bennett speaking that language. For Netanyahu, there was no moral conversation about anything, nothing. It was all power. And so I know we're not the occupation, you know, whether I want it to end, you want it to end. That's not going to end now unless, as you said, that more radical move is going to take place. But some incremental steps of increasing the moral discourse is something that, that, that is also going to be critical. You and I, we spoke about this a lot. Israel cannot claim its moral foundations if it doesn't apply its moral criteria also to conversation about Palestinians. If it's all about nationalism and power, it's over. And I think this government, there's, there's multiple voices here. And so it'll be interesting if that will change in that area. Do you think there's another area where you, where, where's the area that you're most hopeful on policy that you think it could change? Arab Israelis. I think that's, that's the one. This is, this is the revolution. This is the revolution. Got it. And this could have a long-term positive impact on the Palestinian front as well. But let's, let's take the Dayenu moment. And, and let's celebrate the fact that Israeli society has come to the point where we are creating for the first time in the history of this country a joint Jewish-Arab coalition. Now, it's not, it's much more than what we thought it was going to be. It's not only that Ra'am, the Islamist party, is going to support- From the outside. From the outside. They're going to be in the government. They're going to have a deputy minister in the prime minister's office. Now, this is what's transformative here. So, you know, one of the ways in which Israelis have coped over the years, one of the ways in which this country has succeeded is we take one step at a time. We don't ask the question, what's going to be here in 50 years? We don't even ask what's going to be here in a year from now. We say, what can we do today? What can we do tomorrow? Now, maybe we do need a bit more long-term thinking. But at the same time, there is great wisdom in, in taking advantage of what's possible at this moment. And that is really deeply ingrained in the Israeli ethos. You see, I actually think the Israeli ethos, I think it's the opposite ethos. I think the Israeli ethos is six-day war and tebi. I don't think we know how to handle incremental change. And I think this government is mm. going to challenge us. I don't think, you know, we Jews sing Dayenu. We sing it. You know, the minute we put it in our liturgy, we don't have, we don't have to believe it anymore. It just becomes words, you know, up, oh, I sang it. No, Dayenu has to become a much deeper ethos. Dayenu was a diaspora ethos. And I think the Zionist ethos was, I don't want to say Dayenu anymore. I want it in Tirzu, Enzo Agada. If, if you want it, it's not a dream. Let's do it now. But I think this government, and this will be its greatest challenge, is how does it educate Israelis to patience? 
you know, when you said that the greatest success could be on Israeli-Jewish, Israeli-Arab relations, that would be huge. If we could, for the first time, reach a moment where we recognize that 20% of Israelis have to be seen, recognized, not just funded, not just tolerated, but really given a seat at the table for all the complexity and even for all the parts that are so painful for us. That will be huge. And I would suggest my challenge to, to world Jewry right now is that I also believe that we've lost the patience. And I can understand. It's been a long time that issues of state and religion, a long time that there's been a status quo with Palestinians with profound moral challenges. And now I want to encourage, there's a new step taking place. Embrace it. Be excited about it. It's moving. It's not like the roadmap that never went anywhere. This is something is happening. Like even on state and religion, our big issues of state, our reform and conservative conversions or weddings, not yet, but you know what? We're going to have a Kotel deal. There's something is happening. Well, there's a reform rabbi in, in the Knesset for the, the Labor Party, part of the governing coalition co for the first time in Israel's history. And you know, there's something. What was embarrassing about the Kotel is that what we had now is we had one Kotel and then we had this little ghetto Kotel. I felt like I was back in Poland or in Prague going through some, you know, back of an airport where the El Al flight is. You know, it's like in Yenisville. That's the way you get to it. It's like shh, quiet. No one sees it. There's the real Kotel and then there's the Murano Kotel with this little deck crap. It felt like it was aesthetically, religiously, it was embarrassing. Now we're going to have one big um, plaza Every Jew could go to whichever kotel they want. Is this trans? Is Israel now a multi-denominational plural? Not yet, but these steps. Now, if we could have four, five steps, and in each case we're we're moving forward, we could invite world Jewry to engage in reimagining because there's what to reimagine. That's the secret of Dayenu. The secret of Dayenu is not to be happy when the cup is not full but it's to learn how to celebrate positive incremental change. And uh, I, I'm really, really excited. Last word on this, Yossi, before we turn to Ilana. Yeah, I think that uh, diaspora Jews should, should celebrate with us the healing of Israel and that it's only in Israel that's, that's relatively intact that can begin to consider more expansive possibilities on the Palestinian front, on relations with the diaspora, religious pluralism, all of those issues that you and I share with the diaspora can only happen with an Israel that is relatively at peace with itself. And where there's a values conversation that's a part of the conversation. Yes. yes. That's what and it is. That's the hope. That's the hope. And look, we're putting a great deal of hope on this new government. You know, we are, this was the most hopeful podcast. You know, here it is. We're, we're about to bring Ilana in. But, you know, the possibility of a better tomorrow is enough to make you and I excited. You know, let's take a short break. And when we return, Ilana Steinhain will join us. Hi, I'm Rabbi Lauren Birkin, Vice President of Rabbinic Initiatives at the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America. Even in the most challenging times for the Jewish people, scholars at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Israel and North America push themselves to think about what could be and to focus on a Torah of possibility. 
That's why we're so excited to announce that registration for our virtual summer symposium is now open. Over two weeks from July 5th to July 15th, we'll be running public lectures, small seminars, and lots of opportunities for conversation, exploring possible futures for Israel and the diaspora, Zionism, and Jewish identity. Featuring top scholars like Daniel Hartman, Yehuda Kurtzer, Michal Biton, Rachel Korazim, and Yossi Klein-Halevi. You can register today free of charge at summer.hartman.org.il. Ilana, it's great to be with you. And on this celebratory, upbeat, optimistic, could be some people say foolish, but who cares, you know? Yossi and I, we want to be in a good mood. We're in a good mood today. And, you know, I'll, I have enough time in which I could fetch. So if I could be excited, I want to be excited. You know, uh, what is it? It's better to have loved than lost than never to have loved at all. It's better yes. to have hoped. It's better to have hoped. You know, it's like at least we, this moment is positive. But on this moment of hope and on this moment of change or possible change, what classical sources do you have that, that could deepen our sensitivity to this moment? Sure. Sure. Well, the first thing I want to say is any time that I get to get back to talking Torah with the two of you, instead of talking about whether I'm going to put hats on my kids instead of their <laughs> keyboards, I'm very, very happy. I will tell you that. Um, I think this conversation that we're having, um, I, I always wonder about what role COVID plays in all this, because the last year and a half, everything became kind of topsy-turvy. And, and I wonder if some of the things, Yossi, that you were talking about months ago, about the relationship between Palestinian citizens of Israel and Jewish citizens of Israel, the way that people got together in Corona and what they did for each other. I, I just wonder, the lasting legacy of Corona, I'm not sure we're ever going to understand truly the destructive and the constructive effects. So I just want to add that in also. When I look at this from afar and I'm watching this, there's a just a, an amazing image that comes to my mind that's from the Babylonian Talmud right at the beginning of Tractate Brachot. And it's it, it actually takes an image of none other than King David, um, who himself could be described as somebody who power at a certain point really corrupted him. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the parallels there. And it goes like this. Rabbi Acha Bar Bizna said, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Hasida, there was a lyre, like a, you know, a string instrument, above King David's bed. And when midnight came, a northern wind would come and cause the lyre to play. This is his alarm clock, middle of the night alarm clock. We should have a lyre above our bed for our alarm clock. David would rise immediately and study Torah until dawn. Right? So that in and of itself, sort of somebody who's really engaged in basic values, principles of the Jewish people. At dawn, the sages of Israel entered to advise him. So it's time to start his day, what's first on his roster. They said, our master, the king, your nation Israel needs sustenance. So they came in and said, you know, we got to deal with the affairs of state. It's nice, you're learning Torah, you're learning principles, beautiful. But right now, we actually have an economic crisis. We have people who don't have enough. And we need some suggestions as to what to do. So he said to them, go and sustain each other. In other words, like redistribute the wealth. Okay, so if some people don't have enough, so let the other people give them and that. And they turned to him and said, no, 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 no. 
a handful of food can't satisfy a lion, right? In other words, the need is too great. But then they say something else. And this is really, you know, I was talking to somebody about this uh, this past Shabbat. The, the second thing that they said is it feels like what's going on in Israel right now. This, this is what they said. Here's the Hebrew, okay? They said, Ein habor mitmale mecholiato. Now, it's a, it's a hard phrase to understand. And I want to explain there are two ways of reading it. And they're, and they're top of mind. Like I see this in the change government. Here's the first one. The first way of reading is, when you dig a pit, you can't refill it properly by just taking the same dirt that was in the pit and then trying to stuff it back into the hole that you have. Meaning the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? This is a moment where Israel is saying, we have a pit, we have gaps, we have problems, we have serious issues, and we've been trying to solve those issues with the same dirt. And I, I, I'm not saying anybody's compared to dirt, but we've been trying to use the same personalities, the same people, the same coalitions over and over again. And you know what it turns out? That doesn't really work. It doesn't really work. And for me, that is huge. Just to see a people saying, we recognize that we need a shift. But there's a second way that this is read because there always is, right? And that is actually, don't read it as a pit right, the word bore in Hebrew, don't read it as a pit that was dug with dirt and you're refilling it. Read it as a cistern. And if you know how a cistern is is made, which I'm not saying I'm a big um, Cistern expert. expert. You're not a cistern expert. I'm not a big cisternist. I'm not a big (laughs) cisternist, okay? (laughs) But a cistern has like a hole in the side where water can go in, you know, can come in. And the reading here is it's not enough to have the water come in through one hole into the cistern. It's not enough. You need other channels leading to it from multiple sides. And I see that as significant here too. You're talking about these very different channels. I mean, different channels as in different pipelines, but also different wavelengths of people and representations and ideologies that are in here. And it's a moment where Israel is saying, we need more than one channel. We need more than one party that's going to lead here, essentially. And that, to me, is also significant. And watching that from afar, I have no idea. This government, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but you've had a lot of elections recently. And it's like, this government could collapse in a minute. But even if it collapses in a minute, there's a paradigm shift here that is, I would argue, unstoppable because it enters your imagination. And that's why I want to say one, one, one more thing, which is, I'm also watching how angry people are about this coalition. Holy cow, right? People I know and love, (laughs) people who I'm related to, who are, I mean, MKs are getting death threats. I'm watching this, right? Which says to me that there's a paradigm shift here, but that raises another, just like another piece of Torah that I think about from the perspective of what does it mean to really wrestle with a paradigm shift? And this shows up a bunch of times in rabbinic parlance, but, you know, one place you could find it is the Babylonian Talmud Kiddushin 40a, if you're looking for it, okay? And it goes like this. Rav Huna says, once a person has transgressed and then repeated that transgression, it's become permitted. And the Talmud says, what do you mean, wait, 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 what do you mean it becomes permitted? Permitted? No, not permitted. It means it's become to that person as though it's permitted. 
right? And I see that there are people who are very scared and very worried. And I, I, I want to respect their scare, their fear and their worry, even if it's not my fear and my worry, because they're basically saying something that has been thought of as transgressive now is being looked at as permissible and even preferable and a goal. And that is an intense seismic shift. So even as you're talking, Danielle, about tolerance and people being able to sort of swallow the distaste that they have for each other, there's a whole group of people in Israel, and by the way, not just out of Israel, if anyone saw that uh, piece in the Times of Israel, um, evangelicals as well, right? There's a whole group of people who are saying, wait, 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 no, we cannot tolerate this. And to me, that means they see a paradigm shift coming. That's what they see. So that's where I'm at. That's what I'm thinking about. Ilana, thank you. I think you're right. This notion of a paradigm shift, you know, and in modern parlance, we could speak about, you know, tipping points. That how, how do we create this permanent change? And part of what's happening is this. Um, we really haven't had a coalition government. We had a Netanyahu government with a group of people who never criticized, who accept his complete and total authority. And as a result, created a very dichotomous reality. And using your cistern analogy, we're, there's a lot of ways now. It's not just simply that we have to do it differently. We have to expand. We have to add Arabs into the government. Left and right wing could sit together. People who um, are, are doing things that they said they would never do, but they're doing it for the sake of the well-being of the country. All of these are, are systematic changes in the public discourse of the country. And, and in many ways, if this government could actually last for a while, if this government could actually show the country um, the, the benefits of this type of move, then, uh, you know, we speak about how, how evil is contagious, but so too this could also, this type of, of cultural shift, it reminds me of the, of, the, of the rabbinic statement that in our tradition, Behavior shapes your consciousness. Behavior doesn't just mirror your consciousness. You do, we don't just want you to do a leap of faith. We want you to do a leap of behavior. And our whole country is leaping into a new universe of behavior right now. And with that new leap, um, we're changing the rules of the game. But I think, you, I think that there's a challenge here too, because if, and if or when this doesn't work out, it's very tempting for people to just go straight back to filling the hole with the same dirt again. I and I think, I, I think it's not just this moment. I think it's how are people going to be resilient enough to be okay with the really steep learning curve that comes with a paradigm shift. So this is a long, this has to be a long moment. Right. You know, I think that's also what America is going to face in 2024. To what extent are you going to use some of the new opportunities to grow and, uh, and to move in another direction? Before we conclude, Yossi, last thoughts that you might have at this moment or a bracha that you want to give all of us. <laughs> uh, very much along the lines of uh, what Ilana said earlier about this being a paradigm shift. Uh, as we are speaking literally at these moments, uh, Prime Minister Bennett is addressing the Knesset and he is being mercilessly heckled by the Likud and by the Haredim. And by the religious Zionist party too. And yes, and what you're seeing are two models of two possible Israels. Bennett is speaking about 
unity, about shared values. He is warning against a return of the zealotry that destroyed the Second Temple, which I think is a very important message for the first prime minister in Israel's history who's wearing a kippah. And that's also something we forgot to mention. That's also a message here. And, uh, and the fact that, that it's Bennett who is leading, leading the critique against the Kahanists is, is very significant. And um, the bracha here, the hope is that the Israel that we all want to see, the, the Israel that we imagine, the Israel that we know is there, will be able to emerge in its fullness, uh, will be strong, will be vital, and uh, will know how to protect itself from those who seek to undermine it. Beautiful. If I could add just a, a go back to the Dayenu analogy that you mentioned, um, a bracha of, uh, I'll take even, not the Israel I imagine, I'll take an Israel that tomorrow is more positive than today. And it's so interesting what you were just mentioning. See, Bennett can't rule through hatred because the other side is as it has the monopoly on it. That's the paradigm shift that Elon is mentioning. He's setting forth a new paradigm. And, you know, as we often say in our tradition, inshallah, may, may it be, you know what, Yossi, you're more messianic than me. May it be the Israel we imagine, or may it just be, may tomorrow be a good day. Um, there's hope that tomorrow could be a better day. Bezrat Hashem. Bezrat Hashem. For Heaven's Sake is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute. It was produced by David Svi Kelman and edited by Tali Cohen. To learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show. You can write to us at for heaven's sake at shalomhartman.org. Subscribe to our show in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are available. Yossi, Ilana, it was wonderful being with you. Laila Tov, everyone. Bye-bye.